Are you call, you're calling Long in? Long Talk Radio. Uh, 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 internet. Y'all know that kind of music.
Talking about a good time, a mighty good time. God bless you, and good afternoon to all of our listeners. This is Global Gospel, and I'm your host, Reverend Lamar Townsend, and that means that it is Saturday afternoon again, and it is the 1 p.m. hour, and we're excited to share with you on this Black History Month, and certainly this is the first Saturday of February 2021, and God has been faithful. It is because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. His compassion, they fail not. Great is God's faithfulness towards us. And we thank God today for just being God all by himself because it is in him that we live, move, and have our being. We want you to know that uh, we do not own the rights to any of the music that you hear today, but we pray that it is a blessing to all of you, our listeners. Uh, we want you to tell your family, your friends, your neighbors to log on to www.blogtalkradio.com slash global hyphen gospel. And we'll be here until the 2 p.m. hour. We also want you to know that we are syndicated on Google Play, Spotify, and Apple iTunes. So you can reach us on all those platforms. We want you to know that we are on social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, and we're on Tumblr as Global Gospel. And if you go to our Twitter page or our Facebook page, there is a direct link to our episodes. And you can uh, share the link as well with your family, friends, and neighbors. Well, we want to shout out, first of all, our local New York listeners here, New York, Long Island. And then we shout out all of you that are listening in uh, the tri-state area, New Jersey, Connecticut, those down in Delaware, Maryland, Washington, D.C., Virginia, the Carolinas, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, California, um, Michigan, uh, to the north, those that are in Canada, those that are listening in the West Indies, those that are in um, Europe, those Spain, uh, England, Netherlands, those that are in, on the continent of Africa, South Africa, Benin, Togo, uh, Mozambique. We thank God for you, you, and you. For those that are in the Philippines, those that are in Australia, South America, we thank God for all of our listeners around the world, and we pray that the gospel has reached you in a way that is dear to your heart. We want you to know that you can reach out to uh, Global Gospel uh, through mail, P.O. Box 5331, that is in Hempstead, New York, where the zip code is 11550. You can also email Global Gospel, and the way you can email us is Global Gospel. 17 at gmail.com. Those are the ways that you can reach out to us. And for those that want more of the live experience, our number in studio, 619-924-0800. 619-924-0800. And we will open the line up for you a little later in the hour for you to share with us uh, We do have a great lineup For this Black History Month So you, we want you to tune in with us All month For those that have joined us for the first time 
we want you to know that our theme scripture here at Global Gospel comes from uh, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. And it simply says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And so today we present to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. We present to you the good news. We present to you the fact that Jesus Christ was born, that he lived and he died for your sins and my sins. But most of all, he he rose with all power in his hand. And so today the gospel is here for you, you and you, to the rich, to the poor, to the black, to the white, to the uh, sinner man, to the beggar man, to everyone that needs a change in your life. Christ has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so we thank God for you joining in with us. And you still have a few minutes. We do have a special guest that will be sharing with us in a few minutes. As we are discussing today, um, that intro song that you heard was uh, The Little Wooden Church uh, by Dottie Peoples. And certainly that is alluding to the fact that we are going to talk today about the black religious experience. And certainly it is an experience not, not like any other, but it does not exclude any of our other brothers and sisters because the gospel is inclusive but we do recognize that sometimes there are a few uh, cultural differences. So after this next selection, uh, we will be back with our special guest for the afternoon, something on the inside. Stay tuned and be blessed. And oh, what a change in my life. Oh, what a change in my life I have something on the inside Working on the outside 
those of you who have, have just tuned in, uh, thank you for joining Global Gospel on this Saturday afternoon. We thank you. This episode is sponsored by MPT Enterprise, uh, by uh, Third Lounge Entertainment, by Abyssinia, by Honor Thy Sweets, and by the Nationwide Black Family Mediation Services. Well, our special guest is here with us. God bless you, special guest. Good afternoon. How are you? I am well in yourself. Well, great. I'm delighted to be here and happy to have this opportunity to share with you and your audience, sir. Well, thank you. And for those that did not recognize that voice, that is the voice of Bishop Andy C. Luter of the Hollywood uh, Baptist Cathedral in Amityville. And certainly he is sharing with us this Saturday afternoon. And just a little, um, well, he has an extensive uh, resume, and um, I will let him share more of that with you. But just um, so you know that um, behind every experience is there's many um, people that participate, as I mentioned, the sponsors for this episode. A few years ago, I um, Bishop uh, Andy C. Luda was on uh, internet radio and he introduced me uh, to Blog Talk Radio, and uh, that's how I ended up here, uh, because he was the person with the knowledge of uh, technology and media to steer me in the correct direction. And I've uh, since met with him. He has another, uh, his own project, uh, Church Talk Radio and television as well. But uh, Bishop, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. Well, again, Reverend, I am delighted to be with you, and uh, I've known you and members of your family for quite some time. Your brother yeah. uh, has served our congregation and church as a musician in times past. He's actually the musical element of our weekly virtual worship experience that we currently do. People uh, tell me all the time that they enjoy what we do, and uh, they are constantly commenting on the musical background that we make as a part of our uh, virtual experience. And that is your brother who is on the keyboards that kind of makes that happen. I am a uh, native of Brooklyn, New York. I uh, was born in 1954, St. John's Hospital in Brooklyn. I grew up in Far Rockaway, the Lawrence uh, Five Towns area of Nassau County, until I was about eight or nine years old, my father took a church in Amityville where he served for nearly 50 years. And so I am an additional product of Suffolk County. In 1972, I left and went to Oberlin College, spent four years chasing a degree in communications and African-American history. Uh, from there, I went on to Harvard University for theological studies exited that experience after three years, uh, went to Westchester, New York, a little place called Ossining, perhaps better known for its penal institution. It's the town where Sing Sing is. And I spent seven years there and then relocated to Columbus, Ohio for 20 years where I pastored the uh, Oakley Baptist Church 
in that city. In 2006, I returned to Long Island and assumed the pastorate of my father in Hollywood. I have been there since 2006. I am a founding member of the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship, along with Bishop Paul Morton, and I serve as their historian. And uh, I work in a variety of capacities. Uh, I do have a, a social justice organization called the Long Island Organizing Network, and so that kind of keeps my hands full. I am the father of two, the grandfather of six, and uh, they keep me young. And so that, in a nutshell, Reverend, is kind of who I am and what I'm currently doing. Amen. Well, we thank you, uh, Bishop, for all that you do uh, locally and uh, nationally and internationally. And for, for those that you that, that were listening attentively, attentively uh, you know why uh, he is the person to start off Black History Month, because he is very knowledgeable in that area as well as the religious area. And so that brings us uh, to the black religious experience. And certainly we've had many opportunities uh, to share in fellowship with um, Bishop Luther. And he always uh, brings history uh, to the forefront. And certainly that is uh, so important. I believe as an African, um, when I was in college, I took an African cinema class and there was a movie uh, called Sankofa. And certainly mm. those of you that don't know uh, what that is, and I know the bishop knows what that is, but yeah. it's actually a symbol of a bird looking backwards. But the, the, the theme is that you have to look back in order to move ahead. So, yes. Bishop, how did uh, you land in history and what does history have with African-Americans? OK, well, let me uh, let me attempt to uh, answer the, the former question first. I grew up with a fascinating interest in social studies. I was, uh, I tried to be a well-rounded student, but I seemed to struggle in the area of science and math and uh, didn't do too well in those two subjects, but in English, but more specifically in social studies, I did extraordinarily well. And so I came out of high school and of course I came out of high school and let me try to put this in some kind of contextual uh, give you a contextual perspective. I came out of high school in 1972. It was uh, four years after the assassination of Martin Luther King. It was the height of the modern civil rights movement. Uh, the black power struggle was running rampant. I uh, left high school. I went to Long Island Lutheran High School on the North Shore. After having been kicked out of Amityville Memorial High School, we had a racial incident that took place in 1969-1970. It resulted in the expulsion of a number of students. So, Reverend, uh, after the 1969-1970 academic year, Amityville Memorial High School said, not only can't you come back, we do not want you back. And because my uh, that's parents, one different episode. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different episode. That's a whole different episode. Uh, but my parents refused to uh, let me uh, uh, languish uh, on the side of the road, so to speak. And they enrolled me in 
Long Island Lutheran High School on, on the North Shore. And that literally turned my life around. I, I met a teacher by the name of Paul Winger. He introduced me to both English, public speaking, original oratory, and social studies. And I found that I had a knack for social studies. I had a real interest and ability to recall names, numbers, dates. And so I went to Oberlin College uh, as an African-American studies major. Uh, My first year there, uh, back then I was much younger, had a little more energy. And because I had a six-inch afro, I looked a lot taller than I actually was. And so I made the basketball team. The basketball team, this is interesting, the basketball team was coached by a gentleman by the name of Tommy Smith. Tommy Smith is a name that you may recognize because in 1968, he was a member of the U.S. Olympic team. He ran the 200-meter dash. He won the gold medal. He, along with John Carlos, uh, took first and second in the 200-meter dash in 1968. When he stood on the uh, victory stand to receive his medal, and they played the national anthem in the background. He raised his hand. He had a black fisted glove on one hand. John Carlos had a glove on the other hand. And there is this iconic picture of him with a raised fist during the playing of the national anthem at the 1968 Olympics. Well, four years after that, he is coaching the basketball team at Oberlin College. And uh, he had a great impact upon me. And so whatever fascination... I had for social studies that translated to history. And uh, I spent three years as a major in African-American history. And uh, from there, went on to graduate school, continued my uh, fascination with history. Uh, I shifted from African-American history to church history during those three years that I was at Harvard. And so I've come away with a perspective and understanding and and appreciation for the role that history plays even today. And uh, like that emblem and symbol that you were talking about, you can't know where you're going, Reverend, unless you know where you have been. And it, while it is true that the front windshield is much larger than the rearview mirror, the rearview mirror exists. And the reason the rearview mirror is a small item and the front windshield is a larger item because uh, you need to be engaged in terms of where you're going, looking at where you're going. But it is always helpful and beneficial to take a look in the rearview mirror to see where you have been because it gives you perspective, Reverend. It demonstrates to you and helps you to acknowledge exactly where you have been and just how far. And certainly when you talk about the black church, there is no way to discuss the history of black people in this country, independent from their faith community that has worked like a hand in a glove throughout the over 300 years that we have been in this country. It has been the black church that has been the source of our inspiration. It has defined our destiny. It has sustained us at a time when um, calamity and crisis had been our constant companion And uh, if you give me some time during the course of these next several minutes, I I would like to talk about the specific instances where uh, the black church has functioned and operated in an incredibly important kind of way. Uh, It has sustained our sojourn 
in this country. I would even argue that without the alliance and the dependence that we've had on the black church over the years, I am certain that this that our community would not be the community that it has been. So that's kind of a long way of getting around to answering your short question. Well, um, well, listen, it's a good answer. So, <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah. So, um, you you said uh, quite a few things there, and so we do realize that the black church has been the epicenter of, of who we are. And you also come from this perspective. Not only um, did you go to school formally to learn these things, I mean, you are a what we refer to as a PK. So, uh, yeah. so uh, the black church was a a part of your life. I'm pretty sure you really didn't have a choice, correct? That's that that's true. Uh, I grew up as a preacher's kid. My father pastored a traditional missionary Baptist church on Long Island for nearly 50 years. I will confess, however, that uh, the church that I grew up was perhaps more Baptistical than it was traditional Baptist. My mother. Uh, was the daughter of a gentleman who in 1898 uh, organized and established the fire baptized Holiness Church of God of the Americas, which along with Charles Harrison Mason in 1897, those were the two leading holiness uh, denominations, black holiness denominations in, in the late 19th century. And so my mother Grew up fire baptized. She met my father on the campus of Morris Brown and Spelman in Atlanta. The two of them came together, and it resulted in being a bit of a hybrid of a black church experience. So we would go to a traditional Baptist church on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, and then my mother would steal us away to the Zion Fire Baptized Holiness Church on Lawrence Avenue in uh, Lawrence, New York, on Sunday night. So I uh, grew up singing a hymn in the morning and beating a tambourine on Sunday evenings. <laughs> All right. That, that's good. And my family as well. Uh, actually, my uncle is uh, still fire baptized, but my family uh, yes. was a part of uh, Zion Tabernacle fire baptized. And I think in the 60s, it wasn't Guy R. Brewer, but it was New York Boulevard. And yes, so, that's right. So uh, we do have uh, another connection there. FBH. Uh, that's oh, another yeah. story. I'm glad <laughs> I am saved. I'm sanctified. I'm Holy Ghost filled and fire baptized. I know you heard that over all your I've life. Heard, I've heard that. I've heard that. <laughs> but uh, so we uh, we uh, that is a, a, a story in its itself. Oh. The, uh, the uh, Pentecostal movement. But uh, so uh, tell us. So you had this mixed uh, Baptist, Pentecostal, Bapticostal, um hybrid. And so um, how have you found your place in uh, the church? Well, that's very, very interesting, Reverend, because as you say, I grew up with this hybrid. I grew up with a, with a working knowledge, understanding, and appreciation for both holiness circles, holiness style of worship, which tended to be a bit more animated, a bit more demonstrative, as well as a traditional Baptist upbringing, which tended to be a bit more regimented, a bit more disciplined, structured, uh, if I could say so, a bit more liturgical. 
And so these two items have operated within me as long as I can remember. And yet, I will also say that in, in the various geographical locations around the country, there has always been uh, a grouping, Reverend, of churches that while being Baptist in name, they tended to be a little more Pentecostal in function and flavor. Uh, on Long Island, you certainly had Hollywood Baptist Church in Suffolk County that kind of fitted that role. In Nassau County, you had um, Greater Second Baptist Church, uh, Pastor Ian Millett had a church that had a reputation for being animated and being uh, as much Pentecostal as it was uh, Baptist. Uh, when you went over to Queens, you had Merrick Park Baptist Church. Uh, Curtis Norton kind of fitted that role. And so there, there have always been these churches that have been part Baptist, part Pentecostal, but they've never uh, rose in terms of the leadership of the local association as moderator, the uh, state convention as president, the national convention as president. They've always operated on the edge, on the periphery of uh, the Baptist communion. That is why in 1993, when Paul Sylvester Morton announced that he was going to organize uh, the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship and that it was going to be a place where those of us who had this twin heritage, had this twin worship style, could feel comfortable and be at home because there were churches like Hollywood literally all across the country. And so I ended up becoming a founding member, one of the uh, founding fathers and first bishops of the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship. And my comfort level there, Reverend, was precisely because of what we're talking about. It was because it was a convenient, comfortable place where I did not have to be ashamed or feel guilty about speaking in tongues, about doing a holy dance, about beating a tambourine, about clapping on the second and the fourth beat as opposed to the first and the third. Uh, and it, it afforded me the opportunity to live out this twin heritage, this hybridity that existed within me for such a long time. Never before, well, I can't say never before, but rarely before was there a national organization that attracted churches of that particular milieu, that particular ilk, that particular mindset, uh, that typology of worship. Uh, there had not been many occasions or opportunities for churches such as those uh, to have fellowship with other such churches around the country. The antecedent to that, and let me just kind of go here, the antecedent to that, Reverend, was a group that started in late 1989, 1990. It lasted for about four years. It was called the Free Spirit Baptist Assembly. Charles Nix out of uh, Detroit, Michigan, put it together. He was a companion of James Cleveland. And while James okay. Cleveland developed the gospel music workshop on one side of the street, Charles Nix organized the Free Spirit Baptist Assembly on the other side of the street. Uh, okay. It did not last but for three or four years, and it gave way to the rise 
of the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship. So I, I found my crowd. I found my people. I found, I found uh, my fellowship in the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship because, Reverend, it was specifically designed to facilitate those of us who had both a Baptist and a Pentecostal background. Well, that's um, that's good news uh, to know that you found your place and other people uh, found their place as well. And so um, I want I do want us uh, I want to make sure that I, I do discuss um, our, our place, the black religious experience, uh, our place in um, the civil rights um, movement. Um, so um, we that is a division. We talked about a division based on our style of worship. Mm. And we know that some of that comes um from our cultural uh, background and uh, spirituals, Negro spirituals and uh, working in the field and this, that, and the other. Yes, sir. But, um, and we can come back to that, but I do want to mention this because uh, civil rights is uh, so important. The role of the church uh, has played in this. And uh, for those listeners that don't know uh, when the most segregated hour in America is, tell us that. It's 11 o'clock on Sunday morning uh, prior to the advent of the mega church and the cross-cultural church that we've seen in the last 15 to 20 years. Uh, religion in this country was extremely uh, segregated. Uh, the development of black churches in this country is the result of the refusal of whites to allow blacks to worship alongside them. We go back to the 18th century, 17, the mid-1700s, when uh, Richard Allen and James Barrett, Richard Allen, sought, along with uh, other members of the uh, Wesleyan Methodist Church there in Philadelphia, sought to worship with whites. They were literally pulled up off of their knees while praying, and whites instructed them that they were not welcome to worship alongside them. They were relegated to the balcony. And uh, Richard Allen led a group of blacks out of that church, uh, went around the corner, organized uh, Mother Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church, which is the oldest denomination that we have in this country. Almost at the same time as James Varick at the St. George Episcopal Church in New York City um, was informed by the white members of that congregation that they were not uh, welcome there. And so he led a group in a group out that became the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church. Uh, right at the end, 1865, at the end of the Civil War, the Southern Methodist Church had a limited membership of blacks that they were uncomfortable with. And so, you know, history, there's a debate in history as to whether or not they invited the blacks to leave or whether or not they expelled the blacks from their fellowship. Uh, in the final analysis, blacks left the Southern Methodist uh, Church right at the end of the Civil War, and they organized in 1865-1866 the Colored Methodist Episcopal Church. They would later change that name from Colored Methodist to Christian Methodist, or the CME Church, on the Baptist side of the ledger. Uh, because blacks were not welcome in white congregations, black 
Baptist organized churches, interestingly enough, that they named after their African foreparents. So the first black Baptist churches in this country, Reverend, all carried the name African. The oldest black Baptist churches in this country include the first African Baptist church of Silver Bluff, South Carolina, 1770. The first African Baptist church of Savannah, Georgia, 1773. Then you have the first African Baptist church of Richmond, Virginia. The first African Baptist church of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The first African Baptist church of Augusta, Georgia. And then here in New York City, you had the oldest black Baptist church was the Abyssinian Baptist church. And you may say, well, they stepped away and didn't call themselves African, but actually they did because Abyssinia is the capital city of Ethiopia, which is in Africa. So the Abyssinian Baptist church, which is the oldest black Baptist church in New York city, it too was named uh, after an African theme and an African principle. And so the uh, Black Baptist Church has had a rich history of being involved in our pursuit of not only civil rights, but human rights as well. And if I could go here for just a moment, because it is a bit of a misnomer, if it's okay. Go ahead. Oh, uh, it is a bit of a misnomer. And the assumption, Reverend, is that the Black Church fully endorsed the civil rights movement starting in 1955 with Emmett Till right up through 1968, the assassination of Martin Luther King. There is a fading. We tend to to uh, conclude the modern civil rights movement somewhere around the mid 1970s, 1975, 1976. And so the modern civil rights movement is bracketed by 1955 on the front end, 1975 on the back end, a 20 year period. A general assumption, Reverend, is that the black church was fully endorsed, the black church fully endorsed the civil rights movement. Uh, That was not the case. Martin Luther King was considered a renegade. He was considered a rogue. He was considered radical. And the organization that he belonged to at the time, which was the National Baptist Convention, USA Incorporated, uh, frowned very heavily upon his involvement in the civil rights movement. It resulted in 1960 with him, T.M. Chambers out of Los Angeles, California, Gardner Taylor out of Brooklyn, New York, having to organize the Progressive National Baptist Convention because the mainstream of the Baptist Convention and the Baptist Church at the time was reticent, reluctant, and very, very slow to embrace the modern civil rights movement. Let me also say that every time we have produced a Nat Turner in our history, we've also produced an Uncle Tom. And unfortunately, in our history, the Uncle Toms far outnumber the Nat Turners. And so uh, Martin Luther King had a very, very difficult time. Now, there were always individuals who were forward-thinking, who were progressive, who were liberal in their thinking, and Martin Luther King had a great amount of support from individual pastors who were members of the National Baptist Convention, but the National Baptist Convention itself did not endorse or support Martin Luther King, even though he had been elected president 
of the uh, National Sunday School and BTU conviction in 1956 and served there from 1956 up through uh, 1960. But he he did not enjoy the patronage of the conviction as a institution. He enjoyed the support of individual pastors, but not so much the uh, the organization of the Baptist Convention. That is a wealth of knowledge, and I hope our listeners, I hope you took out your pen and paper or you took out your iPad or whatever uh, you take your notes with. I hope that you did that because uh, I learned, and I'm sure you learned as well. And so um, we're going to take a brief break, and we're almost coming down to the close of the hour. But I do want you to uh, call us in if you perhaps have a brief question our number is 619-924-0800. And um, when we come back, the bishop is going to tell us about um, some more, how you can get more information on the black religious experience. And also he's going to come back to, uh, he said at the beginning that he wanted to come back to something. And so we're going to allow him to come back uh, to that. Uh, stay tuned. You're listening to Global Gospel. Our special guest, Bishop Andy C. Luter. Uh, we'll be right back.
Go to my Facebook page if they do a search for Bishop Andy Luter and go to my personal Facebook page. There's a flyer and there is a link to that course that's available on my uh, Facebook page. And I would love for your listeners to uh, check that out and be a part. I'm looking for a limited number of students, 20 students. We're trying to do this for 20 students. It's a first come, first serve um, situation. And again, if they go to my, uh, if they go to the timeline on my personal page, they will see this course entitled The Black Church in Black History. You know, Reverend, I'm getting I'm getting old, so I can't I can't hold on and remember stuff like I like I used to. But I, if you'll allow me, I wanted to make mention of this as well before I forget it and fail to come back to it. But because you have an appreciation of knowledge and experience in music, uh, I think that you would appreciate this. The uh, song that you played during the break. We shall overcome. There's a very, very interesting relationship, Revan, between the history of black music and the modern civil rights. Uh, I think what a lot of people forget is that <coughs> the modern civil rights movement adopted its own style of music. And they adopted, Revan, a style of music that was not current or contemporary or being used by the mainstream churches of that day and time. Remember, wow. the modern civil rights movement started in 1955 with Emmett Till, goes up to 1975. Well, during that period of 1955 to 1975, the dominant, the dominant musical theme, going back to the 1950s, is what we call uh, Dr. Watts' hymns, uh, mm -hmm. English Hymnody was very, very proper, very, very dominant, very, very uh, used at the time. Now, that was augmented by uh, the Dorsey Gospels beginning in 1931. Uh, Thomas A. Dorsey leaves the uh, entourage of Ma Rainey, who was a blues singer. Uh, he pins Precious Lord, and he creates right. a whole new genre of music. Uh, which is called modern gospel, not to be confused with contemporary gospel or gospel rap or any of the current iterations of gospel. But in 1931, it was it was considered a radical expression. Now, here's where I'm going. So by the 1950s, the 1960s, the 1970s, the type of music that we were singing in our churches were either hymns from the Baptist hymnal, <laughs> either the Green Book or the Red Book, or we were singing gospel that had been uh, popularized by Tommy Dorsey at one end of the spectrum and James Cleveland at the other end of the spectrum. It was the time of the large gospel choir. And most churches had a senior choir or a chancellor choir that did hymns and anthems and then they had a gospel chorus that did what at the time was more contemporary music. Now, watch this, watch this. The modern civil rights movement comes along. Now, the reason there was an adoption of gospel and hymns is because of the 1930s and the 1940s, there was an abandonment of black spirituals, the five-note pentatonic scale music that had been at the very beginning of our musical journey 
in this country. And the rationale that was given was that those spirituals, those slave songs reminded us of slavery. It took us back to a time and an era that we were trying to forget. And so they were abandoned. They were set aside. They were not used. So in the 1930s and 1940s, the black church took up gospel songs. They took up anthems. They took up hymns. They took up Dr. Watts songs because they were trying to get away from the older slave songs that had been used, the black spirituals that had been used up until that time. There was a total abandonment of that type of music, that five scale, that pentatonic type of, uh, of music. Well, when the modern civil rights movement comes along, watch this. They reach back because they were not going to use the current contemporary gospel songs that were very otherworldly, very aimed at getting to heaven, uh, but said very little about life in the streets, said very little about the quest for freedom. And so Martin Luther King, Ralph David Abernathy, the leaders of the modern civil rights movement, reached back, picked up those spirituals of yesteryear, redefined them, reworked them, and call them freedom songs. So we shall overcome. Go down Moses. All of those songs that had been spiritual songs now get reworked. The cadence has changed. The rhythm has changed. And they're now used as the music of the modern civil rights music. So music, sacred music, African-American sacred music, played a major role in the modern civil rights movement in this country. But it was the older music that music that we call spirituals that we use as freedom songs because the church had abandoned that type of music in favor of James Cleveland, Thomas Dorsey, Dr. Watts, hymns, and anthems. Wow. I'm sure our listeners did not know that. And so, <laughs> so, so we invite you to uh, tune in for more when uh, Bishop does his uh online uh course i i do have a caller once again our number 619-924-0800 we do need to hear from you caller god bless you yes god bless you reverend talenton um this is marlon calling in to extend my gratitude to um bishop andy luda for his um placement in my life mm. uh also um i once was a music major and i've come to the conclusion that you can't organize black folk without music <laughs> So true. So true. I agree, Marlon. Did they teach you that in school, or where, where did that come from? Well, well, um, when I was a music major, I had the uh, um, opportunity of getting the reinforcements of my music history, um, being in church Sunday morning with Bishop Luther. So I just came <laughs> to the conclusion that that was a matter at stake. All right. But uh, we thank you, Marlon, um, for sharing with us and also for uh, making the connection uh, with uh, Bishop Luther, who has a wealth of information. 619-924-0800. We have five minutes. And so what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to rework the title, which says The Black Religious Experience. I'm going to have to uh, change that to The Black Religious Experience Part 1. And if, okay. if the bishop's schedule allows, sure. uh, at some point uh, we will come back with part two because um, this is like this is living history, and so our experience, uh, as you can tell, has changed over the years. And it's con due to pandemic, 
or what what the world has now labeled as pandemic, um, our experience has changed once again into a totally different. Um, it's a, it's different than what we've we've seen before. No matter what your race, color, or creed is, um, and so Bishop, um, we just we we're at the at the end of the hour, and so um, I'm just gonna let you you can uh, it's all yours to wrap up how you want to wrap up. Well, again, uh, th- thank you for the opportunity and the uh, platform, and I'm hopeful that this has perhaps been recorded. I would yes, love to is. share the contents of this conversation, Reverend, with uh, our audience at Church Talk Radio and with the uh, members of our congregations, both in New York City at the Queens Ministry and uh, at the Hollywood Full Gospel Baptist Cathedral in Amityville. Let me do uh, give a shout out to both of those congregations. The Lord has blessed me to lead them in the office of senior pastor. Uh, I have been at Hollywood since 2001. I'm in my 20th year. The first of those five years I spent uh, as co-pastor with my father, who was in the twilight of his pastoral career at the church. And I literally shuttled between Columbus, Ohio and New York on the first and third Sunday. I would be at my uh, congregation in Columbus, Ohio on the second and fourth Sunday. I'd get on a plane and come to New York and serve here. Uh, as the uh, co-pastor of the church. And I actually put my father on a plane, he and my mother, and I would fly them to Ohio, to Columbus, so that my dad could preach in my place in Columbus, Ohio. I did that from 2001 to 2006. In 2006, when my mother became terminally ill, deathly ill, I did relocate myself here to uh, New York. And... uh, Starting in 2006, I became a permanent resident of Long Island. In 2012, eight years ago, uh, I launched a second congregation in New York City in Queens uh, called the Queens Ministry. So I certainly want to say hello to the members of the Queens Ministry who may be listening and the members of the Hollywood Full Gospel Baptist Cathedral who may be listening as well. This has been my joy, my delight. You have really... um, Uh, appealed to me, Brevin, that there are perhaps few things that I'm any more passionate about than history and the relationship of uh, music and the church and the civil rights movement and our history in our community. So this has been an ideal opportunity for me. And whenever you say, whenever you allow me to come back and share with your people, uh, I dare say I have just scratched the surface if you would allow me uh, to be so bold as to say there is so much more I, I certainly would like to share. But I do hope that your listeners will take advantage of the opportunity to join us, the black church in black history, the black church in black history. And if you go to my uh, if you go to my Facebook page, you can get some information. Or if you want to email me at Bishop ACL, that's Bishop A as an apple, C as in cat. L as in Larry, Bishop ACL at gmail.com. If you just email me and say that I'm interested in your online course in February, I'll send you a link so that you can be a part of our student body. God bless you. God loves you. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again, Reverend, 
even if it's digitally and if it is virtually uh, in the not-too-distant future. And, Brother Marlon, I'm looking forward to, to uh, hearing you on tomorrow for our, virtu- our weekly virtual <laughs> worship experience. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well said, Bishop. And certainly we thank you for sharing with us uh, this time, and certainly we will do it again. Um, once again, to our listeners, uh, this uh, show is archived. So immediately at 2 p.m., you can listen to this episode in its entirety on Blog Talk Radio, on uh, Google Play, Apple iTunes, or Spotify. Thank you for listening to Global Gospel. Our special guest, Bishop Andy C. Lewis, the Black Religious Experience, and Bishop is going to give us a closing prayer. God bless you. Our Father and our God, we come thanking you for the majesty of this moment, the precious privilege, even the opportunity to come and to share in this most unique and rather endearing kind of way. We ask, as always, that you look out over the landscape of our lives, and if you find any item that may prove to be an impediment, won't you move it in the name of Jesus? And so, my brothers and sisters, I do charge you to go in peace. I charge you to go in joy. I charge you to go in love, and I charge you to go in happiness. But the author of peace, love, joy, and happiness goes with you. Amen. Amen. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.